0: i'm alexander hefner your host on the open mind i'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today professor yahia ismail he is director of the nanoelectronics and devices center at the american university in cairo welcome to the program professor
1: thank you my pleasure
0: uh professor can you tell me for those listeners who are not familiar with circuits and systems and computers what is the essence of what you do? What, where? What is your laboratory? Okay, so I mean, uh, if you think of a house
1: and the building uh, brick, the brick is a building component of a house. In our uh, uh, in our electronics industry, the building block is a transistor. You know, so so many transistors would build you a large memory or a great processor, or or all the, these great electronics we buy. Um, so we have been scaling down the size of these transistors now to very small sizes and that enables you to put in an in, in an iphone let's say or a cell phone uh, billions and hundreds of billions of transistors in a small area that giving you all this memory and functions so the whole idea of circuits and systems now is this huge level of integration and complexity to build these great uh, devices you know and how do we design uh, these very small uh, structures and and billions and billions of them in a small area and still get them to work and function properly and so on? So there is a huge market here now for uh, modeling these devices, simulating them on a computer to make sure they work before you manufacture the chips actually and sell them and so on. So this is the area of the lab in general. That's helpful.
0: Um, what are the advances that you and your colleagues are seeking to make to, so that these chips are even more sophisticated than they are today? What is the next generation of innovation within the chips?
1: Uh, the typical frequencies we're working at, if you buy a processor or whatever, it's, it's in the order of a few gigahertz, like two, three gigahertz, that's the range, right? However, we are moving into a regime of much higher frequency of operations, such as 5G circuits, uh, some other communication circuits, and, and uh, some specialized software-defined radio and other uh, technical uh, areas. So we're moving to frequencies in the tens of gigahertz in the future. Uh, up to 60 gigahertz. There are some circuits working at 112 gigahertz today and so on. So this high frequency regime of, of working in very high frequencies, a lot of phenomena do appear that didn't appear before in, in these small circuits. And we need to model it correctly and, and design these chips correctly. And there is a vacuum here. There is a vacuum. So what's coming in this great area is in two directions. Higher frequency, more integration of smaller transistors. And there is another area orthogonal to this, which is how to build, uh, make electronics do different functions from the typical functions, such as biological analysis and other things that typically electronics doesn't do. So these are the two main directions, at least I am focusing on on, uh, at this point.
0: What does the higher frequency entail? The higher frequency will in, will provide the opportunity to do things that we have not done before, like what?
1: Absolutely. So it will, it will give you the ability to do uh, like lightning speed processing of data. You can have huge bandwidths, like in the 5G technologies, you'll have low latency of communicating with the internet or through the internet. Uh, and latency means the time You send something to the internet and it gets processed somewhere and you get the response you know uh that's very important in in uh, certain smart cities you know where where cars you know self-driving cars communicate all of them communicate into one uh, cloud uh and, and so so it will give you uh, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of information, a lot of speed uh, of communication. And the applications are infinite when you have these abilities, such as smart cities, as I mentioned.
0: The other part of what you mentioned, Professor, is biological processes. Uh, I know that you've been involved in attempting to construct chips and processing technologies uh, to de- detect cancer what is the the status of your investigation in that area
1: okay so well uh, we have built several chips so typically electronics are used to process electrical information so it takes electrical input in and electrical output uh, gives electrical output after processing the data but you can use electronics in a different sense So, for example, these digital cameras, they they, they are typical electronics, but they take optical input and they give you electrical output, which is uh, an image in the memory, right? And so now we are are considering using electronics to detect uh, biological cells uh, and their features and so on. So essentially, you get uh, the same electronics and put on it a drop of fluid that includes some human cells, let's say, or cells and and you can detect because the transistor now is so small it's smaller than the cells so you can have array of these transistors under the cells and essentially image the cells and measure certain features of these cells and and this is not a typical function of electronics but if you can do that you get a great um, method to detect let's say cancer versus non-cancer cells and so on And, and you benefit from all the advantages of electronics, which is, this is a very established technology. There are foundries that are well-established, uh, well-established manufacturing process, very cheap to produce and so on.
0: Have they been employed yet in hospitals or by doctors?
1: No, not yet, but we are testing it along with doctors from several hospitals in Egypt. And What is
0: the, the testing process? What does the testing process consist of?
1: Okay, so we get, let's say, a bunch of cancerous cells and a bunch of non-cancerous cells, and we know. And then we start telling the chips so that we put the cells on on these chips, okay, one sample at a time. And then uh, the chip will measure certain features for the cell, like the size, the electric conductivity, um, and some other features of the cell stiffness and so on. And then we record this for this sample. And for for all the samples that are non-cancerous, we also record them for all samples that are cancerous. And so we get a lot of these samples. And then we try to build something called like artificial intelligence software that will say, okay, these features, when they are in this range, when the cell is so large or so stiff or its mass is high or whatever, that means it's cancerous. And so it it does some some statistics and some algorithms on on the data we extract from our chips about the cancerous and non cancerous cells, and try to build its own uh, classifier, you know, software classifier that will tell you, oh, this is cancerous. So when you get now a cell that's not into the training set, not not out of this set, and it will say it looks like those cancerous cells, or it looks more like the non cancerous ones.
0: When do you anticipate that the testing will conclude and that it will be used in the medical setting and and by whom, by doctors in Egypt or by doctors in the U.S. or elsewhere? Well, we expect maybe
1: a year to two years to to get it done because in general, uh, medical stuff is more involved in terms of certification and testing and so on. and we already have relations to some hospitals in Egypt. One of them is is uh, uh, like philanthropy uh, hospital for children with cancer. It's free for them. It's fifty seven three fifty seven. That's the name of the hospital. And and we expect them to be using it if we succeed, or even if we have a reasonable uh, accuracy in terms of detecting cancer. It can be used as a pre detection. Uh, it doesn't have to be the final test, but at least as a pre-screening uh, device.
0: And, and it may be more effective in, in its specific application than some of the existing technologies, I think, is what you're suggesting.
1: Absolutely. And the major advantage is in mass production. I mean, if it's just simple electronics, see, you can build such devices, but if they if involve chemistry and multiple steps and and Take time, and it will be expensive, and the test will take time. What you want with these chips is you will be in mass production, very cheap, you know, extremely cheap. It's uh, you can you know you can buy a toy for for cents, and it has some electronic chips in there. So electronics is so cheap now, and it's very easy to manufacture and mass produce. I mean, this is an established process. So this would be the major advantage, and they can give you very fast results.
0: We're speaking with Yahia Ismail, a professor at the American University in Cairo. He has studied nanoelectronics uh, both at the American University and at Northwestern University, where he was a tenured professor from 2000 until 2011. Uh, Ismail was also editor-in-chief of the IEEE Transaction on Very Large Scale Integration. Um, Professor, what is the role that you are foreseeing in the future of AI, artificial intelligence in electronics?
1: I mean, actually, it's a buzzword in, in electronics right now, artificial intelligence. I mean, see, the, the architecture of processors that you're using now in your in your computer and cell phones uh, is called the Newman uh, architecture, right? And, and people are moving away from this in, in favor of, uh, you might ha- might have heard of the bionic chip and so on and so they're moving into a structure of chips that's more imitating the brain that's called neural network neuromorphic computing so they're changing the architecture of com- uh, high performance compu- computing itself to look more like our brain which is a lot of cells that's not necessarily very fast but huge parallelism you know and, and there is a lot of work in this direction so the effect of artificial intelligence on on electronics is multifold number one we are building chips more and more to be uh, similar to the brain and to serve AI applications um, and more and more also we are using AI to design these chips so so like and we build these uh, computer-aided design tools to help us design these very complex structures, humans cannot handle the complexity. So we're more and more, these companies that build these design tools, computer-aided design tools, are moving to uh, artificial intelligence to help us design. So multifold, if, I mean, it's all around us. You know?
0: And do you think that that transition is intelligent? Do you do you agree with the transition to the more brain-like electronic functionalities well i mean it comes with uh, all what you see
1: in sci-fi movies of <laughs> privacy yeah i mean it's but you touch it you know so for example you have heard about the internet of things now you know where things will will be communicating through the internet not people you know your your uh, lamp and your air conditioner and some foundry uh, equipment They'll all be communicating to central intelligence area uh, in in a cloud, let's say, that will run the factory and say buy this maintenance and so on. But you get a lot of privacy penetration. So this is these are concerns definitely. As as you you yield more and automate more of the information and information processing and de- decision making, it, it's a concern. And and uh, I, I sometimes think of it, and
0: uh, it, it's worrying, you know. What do you think can be the checks implemented to ensure that the deployment of AI does not get out of control and hurt human beings?
1: Um, I mean, I'm not sure. Of course, I mean, everyone, every person will have to implement his own encryption, decryption, security, algorithms, because... You will, no one will trust anyone eventually because even if you get uh, like a third party encryption uh, algorithm, you don't know if he himself is spying on you. And so um, it, it, it becomes more, uh, it's very hard to handle, essentially. It's similar to now information on the Internet. I mean, our lives is on the Internet for everyone to see. I mean, you know, these telemarketing marketing companies, we had several uh, lawsuits on similar stuff. So it will be very hard to control. But I'm I'm not sure how to control this. What are the checks? I didn't think thoroughly. Uh, but eventually, yes, you have to give the power to some human somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: As we close, Professor, can you tell me about your company in the United States and what its uh, mission is?
1: Okay. So uh, this, com- this specific company, uh, I founded with two really high-profile uh, partners, which is Magdi Abadir, who was... Uh, uh, a key director in Freescale, which is Motorola, and now XP, so major, major company, and, and uh, E.B. Friedman, who's a major guy in our area on many advisory reports, and we are all excited about the prospects. We have sold a company recently called Helicad, and it's, it, it's not me. I was part of it, and Magdy was part of it as a VP of marketing there, and and we saw the excitement of building a startup, selling it uh, for a decent price to a major other company, getting the business. So we're excited about this company because it handles the high frequency gaps that we know. We have been involved in the industry intimately in a similar area. So we, we have no design tools that can handle high frequency. So if you want to design a chip that works at 50 gigahertz, good luck there are no tools in the market right now that can handle this and so 5G needs it which is a, as you know is a big contention area or technological competition area uh, and and many other areas needs it desperately you see so we see the gap we think we have the tools to handle it from our previous uh, experiences and so on. So we're all excited about it, and we already started looking around and and the name of the company is sweet sweettera. so it's like sweet and Terra, right? So it's a suite of tools that can handle the terahertz and and so it's much needed yeah
0: you well, you say it's much needed. my question to you is, the vast majority of consumers, at least in the United States, and, and maybe you could speak about this more globally, have not really experienced the benefit of 5G, or at least they don't know they've experienced the benefit of 5G, just as it relates to commercial and personal uh, cell phone or mobile technology. Uh, I don't believe that Americans, uh, for one, um, even if they are a, – a, seeing 5g on their phones are experiencing really anything different so when we hear 5g is an acceleration of, of of speed and and can lead to uh faster processing uh and bandwidth um i don't know that the vast majority of people on this planet have really seen the benefits of 5g yet
1: you you are right okay uh so essentially, 5G is not a single technology. It's multiple generations, they call it 5G. The first generation is close to the 4G, you know, the LTE uh, type of uh, technology, which is uh, essentially in the 6 gigahertz, you know. So now we're, we're 2 point something gigahertz, and now we're talking about 6 gigahertz. So, And there might be not enough installed equipment for 5G to notice the difference yet, you know. However, the plan is... For generations to go to 20 gigahertz in terms of the carrier frequency and then move up to 67 gigahertz at this very high frequencies of communicating wirelessly several things can happen you can build antennas on chip so you can have the chip itself having the antenna currently you have the antenna on the board of your cell phone so things can become much cheaper much smaller you can create multiple antennas create a lot of bandwidth you can so there is a lot of potential, uh, but you might not have seen it because it's still starting. You know, you didn't see the quantum leap, let's say, in in performance as compared to 4G. I agree. Uh, but but still, where has I, it been
0: most impactful so far? Like, if you were to say the tangible benefit of 5G is clear, wh- where has 5G been most tangible in impacting? I, I I think the
1: experience of everyone is the same, like you mentioned, Alex. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not felt yet. You know, it's it's still incremental. However, work in progress. Work in progress. It's incremental still. However, foundries do feel it. Like in Germany, for example, they are big on Industry 4.0, so-called Industry 4.0 standard. This, this standards it means that all the foundries, all the machines, everything have to be connected. Uh, through the Internet of Things, to the web, you know, so a manager can go and look into the foundry and see how much he produced. If a machine has an issue, he can. it's all automated, you know. So it, it might be felt, the impact of 5G might be felt specifically in these areas, maybe in Germany specifically because they are really big on this at this point. But if, if this is successful there, I'm sure it will propagate everywhere else.
0: Professor, thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. My pleasure.